Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the OSHA 3030 with Monish Rath. I'm grateful to all of you for joining us. We have a great topic today uh, relating to the Process Safety Management Standard, or PSM standard. And uh, as I said before, I am Monish Rath. I'm a partner here at the law firm Keller & Heckman in Washington, D.C., and uh, we have offices around the world and are a regulatory firm that, in part, engages in occupational safety and health law in federal state, uh, federal OSHA states, as well as in state plan states. Uh, we've practiced in virtually every state, representing companies of all sizes, from the very largest corporations in the world to, to smaller entities as well. And I'm joined today by my colleague, Javane Nakumaram, one of our OSHA gurus, and Javane, I'm grateful to you for joining us today. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Monish, for having me. Well, we've got a great topic today. As I said before, uh, before we get started, let me point out that we've been doing this. We're in our seventh calendar year. I know I've often said we're, we're, we've done this for about seven years. We've actually done this for seven calendar years, and this August will mark a full seven years. Uh, all of the programs that we've done, we've done them every month, uh, every 30 days for for that duration, and all of our uh, prior OSHA 3030s have been libraried on our website, khlaw.com slash OSHA 3030, on a far-ranging uh, scope of OSHA topics. So there's a lot of information that's really valuable uh, on our website. You might want to check those out. Uh, and as I've said before many, many times, uh, when you get the next invitation to the OSHA 3030, please forward it on along with your recommendation to at least three other people. If you've already done that, thank you. But please find three more people to forward it on to. New attendees are the lifeblood. We've been doing this for many years. We want to keep the program going, but the only way to do so is to see new attendees continuing to enter every month into our community, uh, we're the, a community which warmly embraces our returning members as well as our uh, new members to the community. So those, uh, the, your, your commendation of the program to three to five people every time you get an invitation is, is absolutely critical to the future of the program. And also, if you've subscribed to the OSHA 3030 as a podcast, you don't have to attend at the scheduled time, and you can just subscribe and it'll download. And if you do, please like or rate the podcast program so that it is more easily discoverable by others. Uh, that's the best way to keep it alive as a podcast. So with that said, let's talk about what we're going to talk about today. Uh, an important case came out last month called Secretary of Labor versus Wynwood Refinery, uh, a refining company. And it's a case that centers around OSHA's process safety management standards. So what we ought to do first is give an o overview of the PSM standard. Then we ought to talk about what is and is not a covered process under the PSM standard. And in other words, What's the scope of the standard? How, what, to whom does the, sco uh, the, the standard apply? And then we ought to talk about the facts in this case, the Winwood refining case, and the, the administrative law judge decision. Then it went up to the review commission, the Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission, which is the highest administrative tribunal in the OSHA law system, and talk about their decision, which basically sat in review of the ALJ, or administrative law decision, uh, and administrative law judge's decision. And then finally, as we always do, we ought to finish up with a, a list of practical takeaway items for you uh, about what employers should do in light of this review commission decision. So with that said, why don't we get started with a brief overview of the uh, PSM standard. 
So OSHA's PSM standard was uh, promulgated in 1992 by OSHA in response to a number of major incidents in the U.S. involving chemical releases that had resulted in worker deaths. So, so the standard contains requirements for preventing or minimizing the, uh, the consequences of catastrophic releases of toxic, reactive, flammable, or explosive chemicals. So, so a catastrophic release means a major uncontrolled emission, fire, or explosion involving a highly hazardous chemical that presents a serious danger to employees in the workplace. The standard, uh, the standard applies to a process which involves a chemical at or above specific threshold quantities, which are listed in Appendix A to the standard. So Appendix A, it has 137 highly hazardous chemicals that OSHA believes present a potential for a catastrophic event, and they list the threshold quantities in pounds. So a highly hazardous chemical means a substance possessing toxic, reactive, flammable, or explosive properties. So these uh, substances, they made the list because they were based on um, other lists uh, developed by agencies or standard-setting organizations that OSHA adopted. Um, and essentially, OSHA believes they're the most significant and potentially becoming a catastrophic event. The standard also applies to a process that involves a category one flammable gas or flammable liquid with a flashpoint below 100 degrees Fahrenheit on site in one location in a quantity of 10,000 pounds or more uh, with, uh, subject to certain exceptions. Uh, the standard does have a few exemptions, the first being for retail facilities, because OSHA believes that chemicals in retail facilities are small volume packages and containers, so the likelihood of a large release is unlikely. The second is for normally unoccupied remote facilities because OSHA believes that the likelihood of an uncontrolled release that would injure or kill employees is low because these facility, these uh, facility, uh, their processes are isolated from employees. And then the third is for oil uh, or gas well drilling facilities because OSHA believed at the time that the standard was issued that this industry should have its own separate standard. So. And, and Jevene, as you may know, we've done a lot of work assisting uh, facilities that have normally unoccupied remote facilities and uh, companies in the oil and gas well drilling and oil and gas servicing operations. And those are indeed uh, establishments that present unique challenges. So, so if an establishment finds itself covered under the PSM standard, uh, then, then there's a number of requirements that the standard sets forth for employers. To begin with, an employer has to compile process safety information and then conduct a written process hazard analysis, or PHA. Uh, the next step is for the employer to create a set of written procedures. First, operating procedures, procedures for establishing the me mechanical integrity for the equipment, change management procedures, uh, and the forms necessary to be filled out every time that there are changes uh, as part of the change management uh, procedures, and employee participation, which at a minimum involves employee training and employee training on how to handle change management. So, so in addition, the employer has to perform a pre-startup safety review for any new or modified facilities, and again, anytime there's a shutdown for a change. Uh, employers have to conduct compliance audits uh, and I think it's very clear that this is something that ought to be done with written records of the compliance audit. 
uh, and employers are required to conduct investigations for any incident that either did uh, result in a catastrophic release or could have reasonably resulted in a cat- catastrophic release of highly hazardous chemicals, so, so near misses as well. The employer would be required to conduct an investigation in all those instances. Uh, that, that is a shorthand list of the requirements under the PSM standard. But we wanted to make sure we went over them just to make sure that everyone is brought up to more or less the same page. Right. And so there are a lot of requirements that employers have to comply with if they are subject to the PSM standard. So obviously knowing if you're subject to the standard is very important because you could have a lot of requirements triggered. Uh, The key in determining if you're subject to the PSM standard is if you have a process that involves a chemical at or above the threshold quantity in Appendix A. So what is a process covered by the standard? A process means any activity involving a highly hazardous chemical, including any use, storage, manufacturing, handling, or the on-site movement of such chemicals or a combination of these activities. Now, OSHA also includes uh, two clarifications within the definition of a process, and these are going to be important uh, for the review commission decision. So the the definition says that for the purposes of uh, defining what a process is, what a single process is, any group of vessels that are interconnected and separate vessels which are located such that a highly hazardous chemical could be involved in a potential release, those can be considered a single process. So this definition considers vessels to be part of a covered process if they fall under one or even both of these scenarios. So OSHA states in the preamble to the PSM standard that this part of the definition was added to clarify the fact that interconnected and nearby vessels containing containing highly hazardous chemicals would be considered part of a single process uh, and the quantities of that chemical would be aggregated to determine if the threshold quantity of the chemical is exceeded. So the individual vessel itself doesn't have to contain a highly hazardous chemical above the threshold, but if those vessels are interconnected, um, then then you would aggregate those uh, thresh- those quantities together to see if you're above the threshold. Um, OSHA also clarifies that vessels located at one or more remote distances, they have to be evaluated by employers to determine if they would interact during an incident such, uh, and if such a reasonable condition exists, then these vessels would be included in a process. And then of course, obviously, if a vessel itself does contain a highly hazardous chemical above threshold quantities, then it would be uh, considered a process as well. So OSHA's interpretations subsequent to the development of the standard have have been more or less consistent. The watershed case uh, from the Review Commission in 2006 was Motiva. And after that, a year later, OSHA issued a, an interpretation. And essentially, Motiva and the 2007 OSHA interpretation say that the PSM standard covers a process which involves flammable gases, those that are identified on the list, that have a flashpoint at 100 degrees Fahrenheit or less and that are located on site in one location uh, in quantities of 10,000 pounds or more. And so when you look at the question of a process, which in the definition of a process refers to the location of the 
highly hazardous chemicals, and the definition of on-site and one location, which the OSHA interpretation defines as a, a location that has uh, those chemicals sited in contiguous areas under the control of an employer or a group of affiliated employers, there seems to be some overlap uh, between these definitions. And OSHA interpreted the standard as essentially saying that when we talk about on-site in one location, that does not carry uh, independent weight that it used to in the expression process or the use of the term process. And uh, essentially, OSHA's interpretation uh, looks at the two components of the definition of process and identifies them as, as being distinct from each other, uh, which the Review Commission in the uh, in the case that we're discussing today uh, had also parsed out as to whether or not they were one modifying the other or distinct, two separate and distinct means of identifying whether or not uh, a faci- establishment would be covered under the PSM standard. So, Javanay, there's two more interpretations that came out after 2007. Right. So uh, since the 2007 interpretation, OSHA has two other times addressed this specific issue, uh, which, again, is consistent with the 2007 interpretation. So uh, in 2000, there was a 2008 letter issued to the American Petroleum Institute, uh, largely addressing utility systems because utility systems usually don't contain highly hazardous chemicals. So there are a series of questions about the applicability of the PSM standard to utility systems. So OSHA explained in the in the letter that utility systems are not categorically outside the scope of the PSM standard. And in fact, it, it's OSHA's longstanding position that utility systems are part of the PSM covered process when employers use them to control or prevent catastrophic releases of highly hazardous chemicals. So the the proper safe functioning of all aspects of a process, whether they contain highly hazardous chemicals or not, are important for the prevention and mitigation of catastrophic releases due to their direct involvement to the overall functioning of the process. So OSHA's position was that if an employer determines that a utility system uh, that doesn't contain highly hazardous chemicals, but it can affect or cause a release of highely hazardous chemicals or interfere in the mitigation Um, of the consequences of a release, then it's still covered under the standard. So it's important to realize that, uh, again, utilities are not uh, categorically exempt, but they can fall under the standard. Right. And Javani, I don't recollect anywhere. I know that that was argued by the employer in this case, but I don't recollect anywhere in these interpretation letters or in the standard where anyone had any uh, basis to believe that a utility would be automatically exempt. Right. Right. And then um, in in another interpretation letter, OSHA elaborates on how a vessel can be separated from a process. So so this is relevant to the coverage of vessels that are co-located, such that a highly hazardous chemical could be involved in a potential release. So OSHA explains that employers have to evaluate these unconnected vessels and determine if they would interact during an incident. And if uh, such a reasonable condition exists, then the vessel might, uh, can be included in the process. So employers can separate unconnected vessels so they're not considered one process with physical barriers so long as the barrier adequately controls the potential for release. So uh, 
But then if uh, but if employers use other engineering controls or administrative controls like sprinkler systems or automatic closing fire doors uh, that are used to prevent and mitigate a catastrophic release, they may not be used to determine the extent of a process covered by the standard. Those can't be considered in determining the boundaries of a covered process. So again, for employers, it's helpful to look at these letters to determine when you have vessels that really are part of a single process and when you have vessels that really are separated and uh, they are not included in, in part of uh, the definition of a single process. So let's go back to the Winwood refining case and talk a little bit about the facts in that case. Now that we, we have a pretty good background on not only the PSM standards requirements, but more relevant to the Winwood refining case, what constitutes the scope of applicability of the standard. So Winwood had a refinery in Oklahoma it processed crude oil into uh, gasoline and other gas, uh, uh, other crude oil byproducts. And there was a boiler. It was uh, named the Wicks Boiler. And the Wicks Boiler, essentially, its job was to produce steam that would have been uh, applied all throughout the refining establishment. It would have powered turbines, pumps, other equipment. The steam could have been used to put out fires. The steam was used to strip substances or uh, impurities out of the crude oil during the refining process. And uh, from time to time, the steam would have been used to, to purge or clean hydrocarbons out of the fluid catalytic cracking unit. I know on the slide it says FFCU, it's actually FCCU, uh, during emergency shutdown. So if there was a shutdown, they would have used the steam from the Wix boiler to, to clean out the hydrocarbons on the inside of the fluid catalytic cracking unit. That is interesting because the boiler itself was fed by two different fuel sources. Uh, it was fed by the the crude oil uh, byproducts that was a part of the refining process as well as natural gas. And uh, that fuel was piped into the boiler from a pipe that went maybe four, I think four miles. Right. And... Then it sent steam through, I'd say, hundreds or thousands of yards worth of pipeline that went out like an octopus to all aspects of, of the refining establishment. Uh, at some point during a shutdown, they restarted it, and there wasn't any uh, RPG or uh, refined, uh, refined fuel. fuel. Mm -hmm. And th so they, they restarted it with strictly natural gas. And I believe that it had collected too much natural gas, and so uh, the boiler exploded. Unfortunately, one person uh, died immediately from the explosion, and another suffered severe or, or critical injuries and died 28 days later. Uh, OSHA came in the very next day after the, the explosion and conducted an inspection. And as a consequence of the inspection, they actually conducted a second one about 30 days afterwards. And as a, a consequence of the inspection, they issued a host of citations uh, alleging violations, uh, mostly centered around the uh, PSM standard, uh, a total of 12 citations in all, and 11 of which involved specifically the Wix steam boiler. Well, Winwood uh, contested this, and it went up to an administrative law judge. Right. And the administrative law judge affirmed the violations and uh, assessed a penalty of $58,000 on the employer. 
So the ALJ first made the sort of threshold decision that the PSM standard did apply to the Wix boiler. So first, the ALJ agreed with OSHA's reading of the definition of process in that a process means any group of vessels that are interconnected or they can be separate vessels which are located such that a highly hazardous chemical could be involved in a potential release. So the part about potentially being involved in a release only applies to the separate vessels prong and not the interconnected prong. And so you do not, so when you have interconnected vessels, you do not need to have, uh, you do not need to also have it so highly hazardous chemicals could be involved in a potential release. Um, and that's based on a reading of the, of how the, uh, the standard defines the term. And so there was a big discussion in the decision about the interpretation of the definition because the, uh, the employer was arguing that uh, the, the qualifier of uh, such that a highly hazardous chemical could be involved in a potential release applied to both interconnected vessels and separate vessels. But the, uh, the ALJ decided that uh, that was not the case. And so, the, again, the, the Wix boiler it was interconnected to the FCCU uh, and therefore part of a covered process. Uh, but also the Wix boiler, it was situated so it could impact co-located covered processes. This boiler was centrally located. Um, it was connected to the FCCU and the al alkylation unit uh, through a refined fuel gas pipeline. And so it's virtually connected to all the refineries processes so through the steam header. Um, and then it's also, uh, again, centrally located in an such that in an event like an explosion like that occurred, it could result in the catastrophic release of chemicals. And so therefore, the ALJ held that uh, Wynwood was properly cited under the PSM standard. So interestingly, both Wynwood and OSHA challenged the finding to the Review Commission, the Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission. Winwood challenged the application of the PSM standard to its boiler in the first place and said the PSM standard doesn't apply. Uh, OSHA had challenged it on the idea that they, they wanted repeats. On a separate matter, the company had been bought and Winwood was the new owner and the prior owner of that establishment had been cited under the PSM standard. OSHA thought, well, we don't really care if it's a brand new owner. There's enough continuity that we should get a repeat. So interestingly, they both brought it up to the Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission. We are here on the OSHA 3030 to deal with the first issue, which is the scope of applicability of the standard. So Winwood argues to the Review Commission that the boiler uh, is not something that was contemplated to be covered uh, as a covered process under the PSM standard. Uh, and they said, look, we, we understand that the boiler is piped and connected by piping to other aspects of the refinery, but it itself does not contain any highly hazardous chemicals. And thus, if it were to uh, have a release, it wouldn't be a release of highly hazardous chemicals. And there's nothing about a explosion uh, associated with the boiler that could cause a catastrophic release of the other components of the establishment, even those that were connected. And, for example, take a look at the only explosion that we've ever had, the one that was cited in this case. Nothing else was implied, no other pieces of equipment, no highly hazardous chemicals, none of the vessels or piping that contain those highly hazardous chemicals were implicated in the explosion. Uh, indeed, even the piping that had uh, flammables didn't explode and was, were not involved in the explosion. 
And so, so we think that that's, that pretty clearly establishes that the boiler itself, though maybe piped throughout the facility, it shouldn't be considered as one that is interconnected to covered processes. Uh, moreover, uh, when you look at the definition, we, we already talked about the threshold question of whether or not we're talking about a process that involves uh, flammable liquid uh, and in quantities of 10,000 pounds or more. But when you look at the definition of a process, the, the standard says for purposes of the, this definition, a process is any group of vessels which are interconnected and any separate vessels, in other words, mm -hmm. not interconnected, which are located such that a highly hazardous chemical could be involved in a potential release. That, that separate, non-interconnected uh, set of vessels would be considered a single process in that event that a uh, highly hazardous chemical could be involved in a potential release. And so, so Winwood's arguing, well, we don't have that either because, as you can see, it's, it's not an explosion that could cause a release of uh, highly hazardous chemicals. Uh, what they said also is the boiler is located so far away from all other vessels that contain highly hazardous chemicals that it's just not possible that the boiler's explosion could cause cat catastrophic release uh, of nearby ca uh, covered processes. There were just two. The boiler was deliberately located too far away for that express purpose. Uh, <clears throat> in addition, they made an argument that they said, you know, you may remember that Javanet at the beginning of this program said that there are exceptions, and one of them is workplace fuel, fuel that's used in the workplace. And so uh, Winwood argued, look, the, the boiler is supplied by natural gas and, and refined uh, petroleum product, and that's merely a flammable material that's used to fuel the boiler itself, and so it falls within the workplace fuel exception. So the uh, Review Commission rejected all of these arguments and essentially said, uh, we're, we're looking at each one of these, each in their turn, and uh, we, we just don't believe that, that those arguments hold. We, we do believe we're looking at a, a process. And I, I think Javanet can dispense with the household fuel exception. Uh, <laughs> right, right. They, they did not accept that either. Yeah, they so. essentially said, look, that, mm -hmm. that goes to, uh, they even in the standards say it's, for example, propane used for comfort heating or gasoline used for vehicle refueling. Mm -hmm. Right. So the review commission affirmed the 11 items at issue on review that um, allege the BSM violations. And so they agreed with the administrative law judge that, OSHA's interpretation of the definition of a process means either uh, any group of vessels that are interconnected or separate vessels located such that a highly hazardous chemical could be involved in a potential release. So once again, you don't need to have a group of vessels that are interconnected um, to necessarily also be uh, to have highly hazardous chemicals that could be involved in a potential release. So that qualifier is only for the separate vessels. Um, and so, uh, again, and they also stated that the PSM standard doesn't require that each vessel in an interconnected group contain highly hazardous chemicals at all. If you remember from the 2007 interpretation uh, that OSHA issued in the Federal Register, uh, the, the individual vessels themselves don't have to um, have highly hazardous chemicals at all or have highly, highly hazardous chemicals above the thresholds. So, however, if the vessels are all uh, interconnected um, to a covered process, then um, you aggregate the amount uh, of substances they have in them to see if they're triggered. So it's the interconnectedness that's the important part. So um, once they, uh, once the review commission discussed the meaning and definition of process, they went through 
and uh, and affirmed their determinations about the Wix boiler. It's interesting, Javanet, because it does say that the, the, the review commission does say that OSHA needs only prove one or the other, a group of vessels that are right. each connected or essentially co-located so that highly hazardous chemicals could be involved. But the standard uses not the word or, it uses and. And one of the other arguments that uh, Winwood made was, uh, look, well, maybe so, but OSHA has the burden of proof to show that a highly hazardous chemical could be involved. And in this case, they weren't involved in the explosion. Uh, OSHA had, had uh, put on testimonial evidence that shards from the boiler were launched, I think, 40 feet away, and mm-hmm. that 40 feet may not have, in that particular case, those that shrapnel did not hit vessels containing highly hazardous chemicals, but 40 feet could have hit a vessel containing highly hazardous chemicals. And Winwood's argument was, you know, this whole could have business is purely speculative, and that that's something that the, the agency has the burden of actually proving. The Review Commission rejected that argument as well and said, no, actually the standard is that because it says that highly hazardous chemicals could be involved, it mm-hmm. contemplates the speculation that Winwood is complaining about. And so all OSHA has to do is establish the possibility and not that's the true. probability. Right, that's important. So with that said... Right, with that said, the uh, again, the Review Commission agreed with the administrative law judge that the PSM standard applies to the Wix boiler. So looking at both prongs, they decided that the Wix boiler was interconnected with covered processes, which are the FCCU and the um, alkylation unit, and they were interconnected with virtually all of the refinery's processes through the steam header. So they were uh, phys- the Wix boiler was physically connected to both units through the RFG pipeline. And then um, in addressing uh, the issue of uh, an indirect physical link between the boiler and the FCCU inoculation unit, uh, the, the uh, commission decided that uh, because the, the standard is interconnected, you don't need to be directly connected. Even if it's an indirect connection, that still uh, meets the standard because interconnected uh, includes uh, linkage, multiple linkages. And so it can be an indirect connection. And then they also agreed that, the again, the boiler centrally located in the FCCU, and so uh, such that a catastrophic event like an explosion could um, could result in a, in a uh, catastrophic release. So let's talk about what employers should do in light of the Winwood refining decision. I think the first thing, employers have to evaluate and conduct an evaluation of whether vessels that are contained on their establishment are a part of a process as defined by the PSM standard and as clarified by the Winwood refining decision. The idea that either you're talking about an interconnected piece of equipment with other processes that are covered uh, through physical piping or shared utilities, uh, or that they're co-located such that if there was, say, for example, an explosion like you saw in Winwood, that highly hazardous chemicals could be involved uh, in a potential release as a consequence. Uh, I think it's also important now that you see the broader uh, read that some people hadn't appreciated in the past that may, may in fact, only be a clarification of existing interpretation law, uh, interpretations by the agency, that, that employers conduct a, an expansive what-if analysis to review their existing processes, uh, even if a specific piece of utility equipment doesn't contain highly hazardous chemicals. Uh, and the imp- impact of utility failure on nearby uh, vessels that might contain highly hazardous chemicals. And I think part of that goes to uh, looking at the, the, the chemicals that, you're looking, uh, that, you're, that are located on the establishment, 
uh, and whether or not they're highly hazardous chemicals to begin with, and the likelihood or the possibility even that uh, an explosion of a utility that doesn't contain highly hazardous chemicals could implicate or involve those that do contain highly hazardous chemicals and what might happen in that consequence, in that event. Uh, I think that, that employers also have to look at the uh, EPA's RMP standard and make a determination as to whether or not uh, the RMP will be interpreted in a manner that's similar to OSHA's PSM standard. And uh, finally, I think that because uh, after, in light of the executive order uh, that essentially directed the agency, OSHA, to modernize the uh, process safety management standard, that I think that employers have to monitor for changes or revisions to the process safety management standard. It was initially a higher priority for the agency to, to comply with Executive Order 13650 to modernize the PSM standard. It is now on their long-term action list, uh, so I would say that it's, it's further down the list, in other words. Uh, in 2013, when it was a higher priority, the agency put out a request for information, and then they did convene a subbrief panel in 2016, but now it is on the long-term action list. Uh, with that said, that is uh, the last word for today's OSHA 3030. Uh, you can catch more developments throughout in between OSHA 3030s on our Twitter uh, feed at Rathmonish. Uh, this program will be rebroadcast uh, as a podcast, so please subscribe and make sure you like or rate the podcast on your podcast streaming app like Podcast Addict or the Apple uh, Podcast app. Uh, and also make sure that when you get the invitation for the next OSHA 3030, even if you forwarded it on to three or four people, please forward it on to three or four more people. Uh, each of us has LinkedIn pages, Manish Rath, David Cervati, Larry Halperin, Javane Nukumaram, thank you for being here, by the way, John Gustafson, and the Keller Heckman Workplace Safety and Health page as well. Our next OSHA 3030 program will be Wednesday, 1 p.m., June 19th, and we will announce a topic for that program shortly. And as you know, we have sister programs, the Tosca 3030, the Reach 3030, which will be held on June 12th and July 10th, respectively, and then the FIFRA 3030 as well. Uh, on behalf of my colleague here at Javane Nakumram and myself, Manish Rath, I want to thank all of you for participating in this OSHA 3030, and I look forward to seeing you at the next one, and until then, stay safe.